Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and producer of the podcast, Krenitsa, The Well. It's a podcast series about interesting and notable Ukrainians from around the world. Today is Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. And this episode is produced for the Ukrainian Weekly, a newspaper published in the U.S., but covering the global Ukrainian community since 1933. Our guest for this episode is Professor Alexander Motil, who is a scholar and an artist. He's Professor of Political Science at Rutgers University, Newark, and an expert on Ukraine, Russia, and the USSR. And today's topic will be Ukraine and the EU. What's next? Professor, thank you for joining us today. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So to begin with, we all know that last week, the EU formally confirmed that Ukraine is now a candidate for membership in the EU, along with Moldova. But Ukraine has had a long history of discussion about the EU and expressing its desire about joining the EU going back to the early 2000s, if not earlier. So can you give us some background on that history of relations between Ukraine and the EU? Well, quite simply, the Ukrainians have always aspired to become members, and they've always been waiting for some kind of positive signal, positive step in that particular direction. And the Europeans, in contrast, have pretty much consistently over the last 30 years said, well, yes, we understand you're nice, that you're European, but we'll talk about membership and the opportunities for membership sometime in the future when you're ready. Uh, Which is to say the Ukrainians were interested, willing, and desirous, and the Europeans were pretty much indifferent. And that's been the story for 30 years. Everything changed because of the war. And at one point, wasn't there a pending uh, European Union Association agreement that was uh, up for signing in uh, around 2013? Yes, the association agreement was actually negotiated by the Yanukovych government, and it represented a kind of I was about to say halfway house solution. It was more like a 10% solution to Ukraine's EU aspirations. It would have increased trade. Uh, it would have increased um, travel opportunities for Ukrainians as well as for Europeans going, going to Ukraine. In other words, it was a step toward, not membership, by the way, but toward a closer association, which is what the agreement was known as, Right. So it was a step toward a closer association with the European Union. And in effect, that meant that the Europeans had no particular interest or desire in making Ukrainians members of the Union. They simply wanted to make Ukraine be associated with the Union. Uh, So yes, that was good. Uh, Yanukovych negotiated it. He was supposed to sign at the end of 2013. Vladimir Putin then strong-armed him into not signing. And that was the event that sparked the uh, the revolution of 2013-2014. So what happened with this European integration movement from 2014 until 2019? What happened in Ukraine? 
Well, following the successful revolution, Ukraine did indeed sign on as an associate member. And that was, you know, it was important given the fact that a revolution had taken place. But as I said before, it really was only one very small, very, very small step toward in the direction of the of European membership. And since then, um, Poroshenko and then Zelensky, the two presidents, they've both been supportive of Ukrainian membership in the EU. They've both been arguing that Ukraine deserves to be within the EU, as well as within NATO, by the way. And the Europeans have said, well, we'll see. We'll talk about it when you're ready. Um, and privately, most Europeans would have told you, most European diplomats, that is to say, would have told you that Ukraine's chances of joining the, the EU were about as slim as its chances of joining NATO, which is to say pretty much nil, at least for the foreseeable future, possibly in 15, 20, 25 or so years, would it be conceivable that Ukraine might be considered an adequate member for the EU? One of the problems, of course, is, is that membership needs to be approved unanimously by all EU members, uh, which means that if only one country is opposed, and there was always at least one country that was opposed, that would have shot Ukraine's chances, regardless of whether Ukraine was or was not ready for membership. But as I said, the war changed everything, and it changed that too. Well, why do you think the invasion of Ukraine changed all of this? What, what is different now? Well, for the first time in 30 years, Europeans have come to appreciate the geopolitical, the strategic importance of Ukraine. Um, it's always, Ukraine has always been a kind of second fiddle for the Europeans. They focused on Russia and they imagined that they could have fairly good, fairly neighborly, good neighborly relations with the Russians. Uh, the war showed and exposed the Russians as being imperialists and fascists with a genocidal agenda. Uh, the war also showed that Ukraine was a barrier, a buffer between Russia's imperialism and Europe, thereby accentuating the importance of Ukraine for Europe, both as a geostrategic partner and as a potential economic partner. And last but not least, the war obviously demonstrated that Ukraine was determined to defend freedom and democracy in Ukraine. Um, how many other countries of Europe would have been willing to put their lives on the line in order to defend their democracies and their freedom? Uh, there was a poll conducted about two, three years ago by a European agency asking how many Europeans would be willing to fight if their countries were attacked. Well, the Poles and the Ukrainians were in the 75% range. Uh, the Germans, the French, the Italians were someplace in the 20 to 30% range, which is to say a small minority would have been willing to fight in contrast to the Ukrainians and Poles, who were obviously determined to defend their freedom. Um, anyway, so the war showed that Ukraine mattered, not just mattered, but that it was indeed a hedge, a barrier to Russian imperialism. The war also show, exposed Russia as an imperialist with whom one cannot conduct a normal conversation. And of course, at that point, the question of U Ukraine's becoming a candidate membership arose. It was also pursued actively by the Ukrainian leadership, and it became both extremely difficult for the Europeans to argue against that. After all, Ukraine was dying in its efforts to prevent 
Russian aggression. Uh, but at the same time, Ukraine had determined, had shown determinedly uh, that it was as committed to freedom, if not indeed more committed to freedom and democracy uh, as the Europeans. So the arguments against membership, candidate membership, fell away. And it's not surprising that uh, all the members of the EU eventually supported and came on board. Professor, so what exactly is the significance of this new EU candidate status for Ukraine? I've read, for example, that the Western Balkan nations have been on candidate status for many years. And it seems like the average candidate to EU membership timeline can be more than eight to 10 years. So what exactly does this mean for Ukraine? You're absolutely right. I mean, and notice, by the way, Turkey has been a candidate member, I believe, for something like 50, if not longer, (laughs) 50 years, if not longer. So simply being a candidate member is no guarantee of quick accession to the EU, nor is it a guarantee of accession to the EU. Uh, There are all sorts of obstacles, including, I mean, including the fact that membership is voted upon, uh, has to be voted upon and supported unanimously, Um, plus the fact that Ukraine, as the Western Balkan states, have to fulfill a whole number of institutional reforms. It's a checklist, in other words, uh, before they can be considered as serious members. That said, Uh, This is an earth-shatteringly important step for Ukraine, not because it means that Ukraine will become a member of the EU soon. After all, uh, that's not in the cards for as long as there's a war going on, Uh, but because it means that Ukraine is finally, finally on the economic strategic agenda or map of the Europeans as well as of the Americans. Uh, Candidate membership means that Ukraine doesn't just matter in some abstract way, but it means that the Europeans are committed in some fashion or other to help Ukraine, to regard Ukraine as a strategic ally, and of course, ultimately, perhaps even to accept it within the framework of the European Union. So this is, again, compared to where Ukraine wants to go, that is to say, becoming a full member, candidate membership is only the first of many, many steps. However, compared to where Ukraine was on the geopolitical map of the Europeans and the North Americans, which is to say nowhere, just a few months ago, this is an enormous step because now Ukraine is actually on the geopolitical mental map of the Europeans and the North Americans. So do you think EU candidate status will have a positive impact on investment in Ukraine once the war is done? Well, once the war is done, that first and foremost will have a positive impact, but candidate status will obviously have an impact as well. Uh, One of the concerns have always had is the security, the long-term security of their investments, uh, because they were always fearful that a new government could come into power, a new regime might emerge, which might uh, rescind whatever agreements that they had made with the previous regime, the previous administration. Well, EU candidate membership is obviously no guarantee that nothing will go wrong, but it's certainly a step 
it certainly suggests that it's highly less likely, much less likely that something will go wrong in terms of Ukraine's commitment to investments, in terms of Ukraine's commitment to rule of law. So again, it will certainly serve as a kind of a bomb on Western investors or more generally on investors who are looking for assurances that their investments will be safe. And what about the reconstruction of Ukraine after the war ends? Do you think the EU will now be more willing to help with this? Well, again, that too, it will have that positive effect. Again, we don't know how much because the reconstruction hasn't begun. So we don't know how much countries would be willing to commit at this point in time. In other words, there's no before and after for us to compare. Um, but the difference is significant. Uh, but, but I would imagine that the difference would be significant because before candidate membership status for Ukraine, Ukraine was simply a country that was associated with the EU, but pretty much had no chance of ever becoming a member of the EU. Now that it's a candidate member, the EU has an intrinsic interest in making Ukraine stable, prosperous, and safe. Uh, partly because that's good for Ukraine, but also because that's good for Europe. And ultimately, that's good for Ukraine's chances of becoming a member of the European Union. Um, so in some, yes, I mean, that'll certainly enhance Europeans, the, the willingness of Europeans to contribute to Ukraine's reconstruction. Professor, unfortunately, we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask one last question. Do you think Russia will accept Ukraine's continued European integration and possible membership in the EU? That'll depend, uh, right? I mean, if Russia wins, then the whole question is moot. Uh, if there is a stalemate, then it'll be, you know, Russian influence will continue to be strong. Uh, but if Russia is pushed out, pushed back, possibly defeated, and I'm not sure what defeat means concretely, but in any case, if something along those lines happens, then the ability of the Russians to protest, to create obstacles to Ukraine's membership will be very, very, uh, will, be, will be circumscribed. Uh, so it all depends on the outcome of the war. And is there a specific next step for Ukraine at this point? The next step at this point would be to win the war. Uh, but in terms of EU candidate membership, it's, you know, there are a variety of uh, legislation uh, that Ukraine can adopt in terms of liberalizing the, uh, the market economy, about introducing rule of law, creating better judges, and so on. These things can be done even as a war is being fought. Uh, so it would behoove Ukraine to do it, because now they're in an ideal position. Everybody's on board with EU membership. The opposition has been essentially nullified. Um, and everybody wants to get into the EU as quickly as possible. So opposition would be minimal, if, if any. And the adoption of, these, of this kind of legislation should be relatively easy. It may not be as easy to executed to introduce it into reality, but at least the legislation could be adopted. And there's no reason why that can't be done in the next few months. Assuming, of course, that the war goes, you know, in a fairly positive direction for Ukraine. Professor Motil, thank you so much for joining us on Krenitsia today. Thank you for having me, Mr. Burke. I have been speaking with Professor Alexander Motil, 
who is a professor of political science at Rutgers University, Newark, New Jersey. And this episode of Krenice has been produced for the Ukrainian Weekly, a newspaper published in the US since 1933, covering a global Ukrainian community. And we have been talking about Ukraine and its brand new EU candidate status. I'm Mike Burek, your host and producer of Kadenitsya. And until next time, that's all for now. <laughs>